Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. All right, welcome to the podcast, Adam Power. This feels like a big one to me. Like, I, I, I want to just have you say hello here um, before we get started, because it felt like this feels a little bit monumental to me, like bringing men into this conversation. Mm. It feels hugely, like, it feels so much bigger than I thought it would. Um, I sent Adam a message just telling him, like, hey, I'm doing this work in the world. Um, is there any way that you want to participate in it by sharing it, by joining me in the conversation? And he pretty much immediately jumped in as all in. Hey, I'll talk about this with you. And that really struck me as like, wait a second, because there was a few other men with you who jumped right in, like immediately. And I thought, holy moly, there's a really big conversation to be had here. So I feel like I'm breaking into like a new territory that I haven't really stepped into yet with this podcast. So welcome, Adam, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much. And I appreciate the invitation to talk about um, challenging and sometimes taboo material. I I was struck by your initial um, invitation. And I think this topic is one among many that are huge and divisive and challenging and tender, no matter what side of it you're on. And because in my life, I've been on several sides of this particular equation, pregnancy, uh, abortion, intimate relations, rape, um, how these issues play out in my life, in the lives of my family and my loved ones, you know, they're, I, it's my life also. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm, I'm honored to join the conversation and be in it. And I think, you know, as we were speaking of just a moment ago, before we started rolling, you know, I think abortion is one of these classic, um, examples of a challenging situation that often falls unduly harshly on women versus the men who are equally involved in the situation. And it's a representation to me of one of the many ways that our culture um, privileges some of us, and I'm pretty much in every privileged camp we can name, and, and, and undermines the privilege and, and just basic human rights of so many other people. And that's fundamentally fucked up. And I think it's on all of us to do what we can to change that. And because I'm a pretty straight, white, educated white guy in America, yeah. I'm living in a world that was made for men like me. And that brings so much privilege along with it, even when I'm not conscious of it three quarters of the time that I think there's a special responsibility for people in the driver's seat, like me in this particular case, to be to, to stand up and be willing to be counted and be willing to be part of the recalibration and re-equalization of reality between all of us, which I, I hope I'm 
you know, organizing my life around. And so to just be in a conversation about the challenging stuff here, um, I think needs to happen. And I'm, I'm actually really happy to be part of this conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, I don't know where this is going to go. Like I, when I stepped into this work, I really thought about working with women, working with women, working with women. And like the more I'm in it, the more I'm seeing like different perspectives and different avenues and different curious aspects. And I'm just really excited about whatever comes next. So right. thank you. And Adam shares his voice in the world in lots of beautiful ways. So we'll link to his work. Um, and it really is extra special to have him here. So I'm going to start by reading. That's how I start um, most of my podcasts. And then we'll have a conversation. Great. All right. So um, I don't know what the title is for this, but for now I've titled it Abortion Isn't Just a Women's Issue. My body, my choice. Women's rights. No uterus, no opinion. The abortion conversation almost always centers around women, but I'll never forget the looks on his face as we navigated our abortion. His body language completely shifted. His tone changed. We were swimming through waters that we'd never swam in before. We needed each other in ways we had never needed each other before. Unplanned pregnancy changed us even before we chose abortion. The baby was in my body, but it wasn't all mine. We made a baby together. I couldn't deny the fact that what was happening in our life was ours, not mine. I can like feel the nerves in me just talking about this in this way. <laughs> I'm gonna keep reading. But it's just, this is like real raw stuff for me, like entering these conversations. Um, there was a change in the power dynamic, a shift in voice. We both knew that this wasn't a decision we could have equal say in. There was no playing fair here. The cards were dealt almost entirely in my hand, and I had to decide the next move. Every decision we'd made up until that point was an open playing field. He had his thoughts. I had my thoughts. Together, we made decisions. There were no rules about whose thoughts mattered more, whose opinions carried more weight. We were two people living side by side, building a life together. But there's no side by side in an unplanned pregnancy. He was literally inside me. Half of that baby was his, and I had to decide what to do with it. No matter what I chose, there would be consequences. And no matter what I chose, there was no going back. I couldn't change my mind. This was all in. Either way, all in. I had the power to change us both forever. I was in control. There was no weaseling my way out. Doing nothing wasn't an option. I chose abortion and he chose me. He chose to hold me, love me, be with me. Looking back, I can see how little room I gave him to have his own experience. It was easy to gloss over. I was the one bleeding. I was the one with the empty womb. My body was swirling in hormones, and I was the one whose body had just been filled with cells from our unborn baby. Quite frankly, I was a mess, and he was on cleanup duty. Time went by. I found my healing. I started breathing fully again. There was no playbook that said, now it's time to let him get messy. 
I sat in bed Googling ways to heal after abortion and found next to nothing for myself. I certainly found nothing that reminded me he might be grieving too. All around us, the world kept saying, my body, my choice, women's rights, no uterus, no opinion. These messages make sense, but they're isolating. They miss the mark on exploring the scope of what it means to be human. They gloss over our interconnectedness. Like much of the world around us, they paint a black and white picture in a multicolored world. Abortion isn't a women's rights issue. It's a human rights issue. What are the consequences of the cycles so many of us are repeating? How can we expect men in power to advocate for reproductive justice when in so many of our own homes, the scales are tipped? We're overlooking all the parts. What would happen if we gave room to a bigger conversation around men and abortion? And let's talk. <laughs> right? It's just like, I can feel the bigness of this. Like, I'm, my body is shaking right now. And I've recorded, I mean, this, I don't know what episode number this will be, but I've recorded quite a few podcasts. And this one just feels like, it feels really different to me. It's definitely tenderizing material for sure. As soon, yeah. as, as, soon as you started speaking, I felt the tears kind of rushing to my eyes and I got goosebumps and it brings me to my own experiences and it's, it's, it's as deep as it gets. Yeah. We're talking about creating life. We're talking about choosing to end life, to not bring a life into the world. And no matter what the sort of, uh, I'm not shy about politics, so I'll just say no matter what the right-wing propaganda or messaging is around, you know, the apparent ease with which people like choose to get pregnant and abort, you know, I don't know anybody who's had an easy time choosing to abort a pregnancy. It's not a casual thing. Um, and so it's, you know, we're right up on the edge of life and death and love and will and choice and, yeah. and none of those things, you know, no one gets out of that alive. I think in some way, I mean, as, as I, I, I'm inspired to be part of this particular conversation, partly because I've been on several different sides of this one myself. Yeah. Do you mind sharing some of those, some of sure. your story? I, I, I'll, I'll briefly gloss over everything and then I'm happy to dive into anything else that you would like to. Um, so I, I have been involved in at least um, three pregnancies in my own self. Um, in one case, um, I was with a woman briefly. We were lovers. We weren't even, we weren't partners or anything. We were both in our young twenties. Um, and uh, I found out 20 years later when I ran into her out in California after not seeing her for a decade or two, mm. um, that we had gotten, that she had gotten pregnant in one of our two or three nights together and had chosen to have an abortion and not told me about it. Mm. I, got a former girlfriend pregnant when we sort of reconnected in the tail end of what had been a fairly tumultuous, I don't know, a couple of years together maybe. And we reconnected and made love and she got pregnant and she really, really wanted to have the kid. 
and she mm-hmm. is a, a marvelous human being. I mean, I have nothing to say about her that isn't kind and lovely. She already had a child at that point. It was about four or five while we were spending our time together, and I loved that kid. Mm. Um, he was a beauty, and we had something very sweet together. Um, it was the first sort of consensually non-monogamous experience of my life, and I was too young to know how to handle that with very much grace, I'm afraid. But mm. we were stumbling along, all of us, and doing the best we could. Anyway, when uh, it's complicated, but in the end, all of it sort of fractured, and the other woman who I also loved um, in a very profound way, um, and she and I finally came to what seemed like and was the end of our, you know, intimate partner road. And then, um, and then I, I ended up reconnecting with the other woman in the triad, and um, and we were sexually intimate, and she got pregnant, and she really wanted to have the kid. And, and I thought, you know, you're already a single mom with one baby daddy who's semi-involved, semi-not involved. I felt really sure that our affection for each other notwithstanding, we were not going to be great partners for each other. Hmm. It felt like it wasn't a relationship, she and I, that was likely to be a happily ever after kind of like, here's where you want to bring a kid into the world kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. And I had very strong feelings about not wanting to bring a kid into the world and not be there as much as I could be there. You know, my dad left when I was six years old. You know, I, I lived with a single mom. Um, I didn't want to offer that to my first kid. Yeah. And, and, I, and I felt I just had a gut sense she and I are not going to be working partners in a, like we're living together and being a family kind of way. So I just, I had a certainty in my sense of it all that, that it was going to be a co-parenting something or other. And, you know, I'm sure we would have done a a decent job of that. She's a lovely human. Like neither of us was going to be dicks about it, but it wasn't how I wanted to do it. And she w- she literally said to me, you know, like, y- y- I want to have this baby. I love you. I'm happy to do this. Like, I'll do this without you. And I, w- I'll, I will ask nothing of you. Like, I'm not trying to corner you into being, a, you know, a baby daddy or, you know, or a, 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 a source of finances or anything. It wasn't, she wasn't asking, she was mm-hmm. making no demands of me. Mm-hmm. And, and yet I felt so strongly that I didn't want to bring a kid into the world that I wasn't going to be a full-time father too. Hmm. And I have to say, I'm not always sure that I made the right decision about that. Yeah. Um, because I think the world of this woman and I loved her kid. She's a great mom. She went on to meet someone else and have several more kids. And um, I've seen, I mean, we haven't really been in touch in any kind of real way for many, many years, but I've never seen anything that made me doubt that she's an amazing mother and a beautiful person who cares for her family in a beautiful way. And, you know. So do you mind me asking how she made that decision? I mean, it sounds like you were pretty clear with her on what your. Yeah. I. And of course we're speculating because she's not here and. 
Only yeah, no she problem. can tell us how she made the decision, but how did that come to be that she did get an abortion? Uh, it's a good question. Um, mm -hmm. I can say for my part that I think I leaned in pretty hard on her. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I felt a certainty that this wasn't what I wanted. And I, and I, I couldn't really muster up a bunch of enthusiasm to just say, all right, well, I'll be part-time and I'll, I'll help out a little financially as I can and, you know, go for it. I couldn't really bring myself there. Mm -hmm. So in my darker moments, um, I'm afraid that I lean too hard mm. on her. And I mean, you know, ultimately it was her decision. I think we both knew that. Yeah. But, but I wasn't bashful about letting her know that I thought it was a bad idea for the kid and for us and for everything. And um, why it is that she chose to make the choice to listen to my instinct on that rather than her own instinct that really wanted to bring that kid in. I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know that. It's not a time I'm particularly proud of. Mm -hmm. And nor do I think that my instinct was incorrect. You know, I still haven't had a child. And I still can't imagine bringing a kid into the world and not being a full-time dad. Like, that seems crazy to me. Yeah. So, you know, I can second-guess myself till I'm dizzy. Um, but anyway, that's part of my experience of being in this situation. I've also mm -hmm. had close family members who were raped by strangers and um, forced to have abortions or else have a, an unwanted kid by a rapist, you know. That's just incredibly yeah. fucked up. Yeah. And I saw that closer hand than I than I wish. And then I had a girlfriend uh, partner for a couple of years who was, um, you know, 11 years older than me, I think. And I was in my late 20s. And, um, and, and we got pregnant. And I think by that time, we were already, it was already looking likely that the partnership was not really going to thrive and survive. And so it was a bit of a like, awkward time to be staring down the pregnancy because we we had started in a very loving very beautiful place it would have been a different conversation if we'd gotten pregnant in the first six or 12 months mm. but because she was pushing 40 and she had the real sense correct in the end that this was her last chance to have a kid in the world mm -hmm. and um and so we wrestled with it for a while and um and it was difficult for all the reasons and in the end we decided even though it was not at all clear that we were going to be partnered in a traditional way we decided that we would have the kid together mm. um, and so we moved forward with that decision and um and a few months in she had a miscarriage yeah and she never did carry that baby to term and she never did have a child again in her life. And so that was a place where faced with an unplanned pregnancy, my partner and I both decided in spite of the imperfections of the home life dynamic, we would bring that kid into the world and we would do our best with that. Yeah. And, I, and I never doubted that she would be a fantastic mother who would never use the kid against me in any kind of way, you know? So um, I, I feel very tender feelings um, for all the women involved in who have come up in this conversation so far because I've shared life and death with all of them in, in, in some way. And it's, and it's deep and it's deep stuff. I think it's amazing and I'm really curious 
how many times you've encountered abortion in in your life experience thus far and i'm now thinking like how many men i know have had the same experiences of course not the same but have also encountered abortion many times and are not talking about it i would assume that it's a a very extreme minority of men who have never been involved in abortion one way or another. Right. I would, I would assume that. And because one of the, uh, one of the hidden, you know, or more occult elements, uh, you know, aspects of what we're talking about here is actually the precisely the dynamic of men who are not carrying these babies in their own bodies, um, forcing other women or putting heavy pressure on other women who uh, who are pregnant with their kids to like make that problem go away. You know, I'm a politician, I'm a businessman, I'm married, I've got whatever, you know, my social position and status, like this will mess everything up. You know, you have to like go to Mexico and take care of this or, or whatever the scenario. Right. You know? And so it's one of the classic ways that men, especially powerful men, men of position, are able to whitewash their own mistakes and make them go away, put them in the closet in a dark place where hopefully they will remain hidden forever while women bear the shame of, you know, the, the experience, the being cast off in order to, you know, quote, make this problem go away. The, everything about the dynamic, um, I think when it comes to, you know, especially powerful men, but men in general, like impregnating women and then basically shuffling off responsibility for it or demanding in one way or another that the women um, don't have the kid so that it doesn't inconvenience their life. Yeah. I think what's so interesting is, you know, I talked about this a little bit in my writing is it's so easy to get there. It's so, you can see how we landed here because Sorry, to get where? To get to a place where women do bear the burden, right? Like, I, again, like I was the one with the hormones. I was the one bleeding. I was the one crying for months. And I remember being upset at times that he didn't seem sadder, right? And I remember giving him opportunity to talk about it that he wasn't so interested in taking. But I remember wishing that he had more feelings. But at the same time, I also remember thinking, and I should say he probably had a lot of feelings, but that he expressed more feelings. Um, but I don't know. Um, at the same time, I remember thinking he couldn't feel this the way that I feel it. Like it's literally impossible. Sure. And so you can see how easily it can get swept out of men's responsibility and that doesn't make it right definitely not I it mean, makes it interesting it definitely makes it interesting i mean another another factor that we're dealing with all of us whether we want to or not in in this dynamic is that as men in i mean i i can speak to the modern-ish 60s and onwards you know american culture that i grew up into but men in my world we're generally not acculturated into an environment around our ex feeling expression and articulation of our own feelings um yeah. there were there there are huge swaths of material that are you know either considered 
you know, inappropriate for men or there's no social, little to no social space for it. You know, if you grow up gay or if you grow up with strong feelings or weird in any way, um, and you're a man, you're a boy, you're, you know, the, you're, the, the game is you just suck that shit up. You know, the game yeah. isn't, we, we are taught early and often, you know, what some variation of, you know, we're to be ashamed of our feelings or not, to, it's not manly to feel the feelings or to, you know, public. I mean, there's just so many ways in which men have been put through the extruder of a distorted social cultural environment, which means that we're all sort of half, you know, disabled when it comes to accessing our own capacities for nuanced feeling and, you know, life on the tenderness and, uh, and vulnerability side of the equation. These aren't things that were prized in our upbringing by and large. Yeah. And I say, I say that for me as somebody who, you know, grew up in a, in a, in a progressive community, Cambridge, Mass, Boston, Mass, and, you know, with, with um, educated parents and, you know, educator parents. And, you know, I, 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 I did not have the short stick at all when it came to all that stuff. And still, it was an uphill battle and one that I bear the scars of today. I mean, we can't discount the ways in which we all were molded by a broken, dark culture which does not invite yeah. honesty or like true communication or accountability. None of us grew up knowing how to speak to the conflict or resolve it with our peers. You know, I got beat up mercilessly as a kid. There was never, I don't even know if the adults noticed it, much less was there a forum for like bringing people together to resolve difficulties and challenges. So we all just molded ourselves into some ungodly shape in order to fit what the world offered us as ways to engage with ourselves and with each other. And that's, I think, part of the big social unwinding that, you know, the current culture is demanding that we stare down. Like we have broken the world and we're staring at fractured, distorted images that the broken world feeds back to us. And until we heal our relations with each other, until we're able to be vulnerable and be heard and be with others as they are vulnerable and heard, you know, we're not going to fix this. We're not going to heal it by just paving over it and, you know, trying to grow our way out of it or, you know, like have more money our way out of it. Like all of the social cues and encouragements are, you know, with few exceptions, broken and fucked up yeah as you're talking i'm remembering a time in my own experience um and i too came from a pretty progressive family i grew up in western mass which you know very well and are now here um my parents were open in most conversations with me but as you're talking i'm remembering my dad sitting down at my table while I was still pregnant and really checking in with me. I knew at that point I was going to choose abortion. And I remember he, he got really emotional and he wanted to make sure that I was making the right choice and I could feel his feelings. And I remember wanting to honor them, but then also being like, there was that voice in me that was like, 
You don't get to, you don't get to have an opinion here. <laughs> it's my body. I, I'm going to deal with this. I don't want your feelings burdening my decision. It was all happening at the same time. Like I felt for him. I loved him. I wanted to hear him. But at the same time, like to, to be clear in my own decision, I had to like also feel that power of like, no, I'm not letting you in. And I just think it's, it's just, it's all so complicated. And again, it's just so interesting and important to look at because you and I are both saying we came from really, really privileged lives, right? Even open lives in terms of like having conversations and, and where we like literally just geographically where we're from. And even then there was, there's so many judgments and so many feelings and so much like power dynamic in it all. Um, and I just like reflecting back on how could even that conversation have gone differently if I had let him feel. But in that moment, I was like, you don't get to feel here. This is my thing. I'm the one who gets to feel here. And how old was your dad at the time you were having that conversation? He was um, 65, you know, 60, 67. And you have kids now, right? And I have kids and he has many grandkids. And I think he was having a lot of feelings um, and, and his own past that I probably don't know all the details of. Um, the part I'm curious about is um, putting yourself in his position with your own daughter facing what you were facing you know yeah and i can recognize that i did do that and i even wrote about it and i have i just uh, haven't reflected I, on it in a little I'm, bit i'm not in any way you know saying you shouldn't have done it the way you did it just that the that the fullness of everybody's experience of yeah. it is rich and complex and it all deserves its moment to be known yeah, and I think that's the point I want to make here is even those of us who are showing up, who are willing to have the conversations, who are, are open to like sharing our heart a little and seeing how it could have gone differently, even those of us who are ready are still not ready, right? Like I was ready to hear his feelings. I wanted to hold him. I wanted to hear his opinion, but I still wasn't ready. <laughs> um. And I think that, I don't think there's an answer. I think we just have to be willing to sit in it and notice that it's uncomfortable and notice that there's so many layers and just be aware and be watchers for a little while and say like, this, this isn't, there's not a way out of this. There's a way through this by feeling and noticing all the stuff that's coming around it. Yeah. I think that's an important point, really, because we face in life circumstances that crack us open, that push us to the edge, that push us, push us beyond the edge, that, that do not permit of easy solutions, and sometimes we just need to pause and be witness to the fullness of 
the whole moment. Yeah. And we don't always, they don't, those moments don't always come with like easy answers or any answers. It's, they're full of complicated feelings and uncertainty about what the right course of action is and anger and frustration at how we got here. And, and any other conceivable, you know, shame and fear and depression and, you know, maybe even exhilaration and pride, who knows, situations that just drop us to our knees because we are incapable of holding all of the complexity and intensity that is there. Yeah. And, you know, we may not agree with everybody else who's in that moment with us. And we may, you know, like there's just, sometimes we need to just, just be in the witness of it all and, and allow ourselves to be humbled by it and to hopefully be opened by it or to allow something to move through us. That's not me trying to exert my willpower on the situation, but just to allow myself to be carried downstream by a current of reality, emotion, complexity, irreconcilable differences. I very much talk a lot about not living in the past and maybe not even living from the past. (laughs) But I think this this has opened up, even just writing that piece and then thinking about that experience with my dad and having this conversation with you and watching you reflect back on your experiences. It's teaching me a lot about if we can be vulnerable, even just to go back, vulnerable enough to go back into our own past and be willing to see it from a different perspective, just like you said, right? Like, you know, how old was your dad? You have kids, right? There's being willing to go back and look at it from a new lens, a different lens than you were wearing the day you were having the conversation, the day you were making the decision. Um, There's so much opportunity to grow and move forward if we have that vulnerability to, to look back in a different way. And I think that we've, we've opened those doors for a lot of people today. Um, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions um, before we wrap up here, because we could we could keep going for a long I, time. I feel like we're just <laughs> scratching the surface. I know. So if we had three hours. That wouldn't feel like too much time. I know. I know. And so it's really, my head is just spinning about where this all will lead next. But one thing I'm curious about, um, as a man in the world and a man of, of privilege, many privileges, when was the first time you remember thinking about abortion? Was it when you were faced with with a personal experience? Or do you remember thinking about or noticing the abortion conversation before um, it was personal to you? I think, I don't remember exactly, but um, I'm pretty sure I didn't skate through high school without it crossing my radar. So I would say probably by 11th and 12th grade, when I was old enough to start having sex and, you know, taking drugs and hearing rock and roll and doing all the, you know, high school things. Um, I think the reality of pregnancy and abortion and all the complexities of it were certainly knocking on the door of my awareness, you know, in, in my mid late teens. Um, 
So well before I had any personal experience with it, for sure. Yeah. And do you remember thinking of it as a thing that could happen, like a solution to a problem? Or do you remember having any like complex feelings about it? I don't know that I ever had uncomplex feelings about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you're pretty sexuality was always a complex thing for me even as i was beginning to dip my toes into that whole reality um, i always found that level of intimacy um provocative to me my, my first handful of sexual experiences did not involve real love and so i sort of immediately felt like i was playing in a domain in which I had, I had, it had been withheld from me the crucial ingredients of that domain. And I realized very quickly, like, wait, I'm having sex with people I don't love. Something's off with this whole equation. Um, and, you know, when I was 18, I took my vows of celibacy and poverty and renunciation and lived like a monk in community for three years. So my, my sexuality journey is pretty left of the American, mm. American center. But, um, I think that if, if the uh, oh that's a that's a that's this is a, a a solution however blunt to a problem that that was never a, a, a mind space I think that I inhabited because it was always obvious that it was that abortion and pregnancy was a, a huge complex intense life changing thing hmm. so you know they're like oh well just have an abortion whatever like not think about it you know. But again, while I was in high school, I was part of a, I was part of a Planned Parenthood um, youth expression theater, we called it, and, uh, and wow. we, we traveled around performing skits about teen sexuality and you know, drug use and all the various things, trying to be kind of a good message in the world. So I, I think while I was in high school, I was wrapping my mind around a fuller nature of what pregnancy would be, what sex is or can be, might be, um, so yeah, again, I think I was pretty wide of center, um, for the American. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Do you remember conversations with other young men or men or men now? Like what are the, what are the conversations men are having about abortion? <laughs> Let us in a little. Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, I have to say, I, I don't, I think the conversations that men are having about abortion that I'm aware of are happening at some meta level if they are in a situation where they need to be staring it down themselves. Um, I'm, I'm not in a lot of conversations where, you know, men are just finding ourselves in the corner of a cocktail party or, you know, any environment and like, so what about the abortion thing? You know, I don't, I don't know that I know. I'm sure I do because I know a couple, you know, freaky, um, not left of center people like me. Um, I don't, I don't know that I know too many men. I'd be pressed to name three men who I think don't at this point have a, a pretty decent understanding of this is an issue which affects women's lives in a different way than it affects men's lives. Women need a voice over what happens inside their own bodies in a way that our feelings notwithstanding we shouldn't, men should not be legislating and 
um, proscribing the bounds of proper and improper behavior in these domains. I just don't know anybody who still thinks, you know, the way so many people in society seem to think only a couple of generations ago. Yeah. I, I don't but know. It that. is interesting, like, so it is interesting that you're not men just like women are not actively having these conversations unless faced with it and i can say the same for myself like i kind of labeled myself pro-choice i supported other women who needed to have abortions i kind of just like fell into a camp but i wasn't having conversations about it until faced with it and so that makes sense to me at a certain point of course it does but what if we were having, you know, and as a parent of teenagers, I mean, these are questions I ask myself, like, what if, what if we were having these conversations before they were necessary, before we were faced with it? Yeah, well, that's a what if that, that begins to presuppose the possibility of a level of health and, um, and, and radiance of our social polity of our of our human relations that we're actually engaging with deep and important issues before they become you know they come knocking on our doorstep like that's that sounds like a better world worth living in to me you know like why wait <coughs> i mean on one level it's just also overwhelming i mean right now you and i were adulting on such a daily basis that you know to to invite in a whole bunch of large thorny in impassable kind of social issues above and beyond the shitstorm that is already life in Trump America, you know, it's like, who has the bandwidth for that? Like, yeah. we're, you know, we're I all- I will say, I just, my daughter just did, she's an, a sophomore in her school and she just did a presentation about birth control and abortion and she invited me to it. And there were um, boys who chose to join the conversation because they all electively chose who to, who to present who to watch as a presenters. And the, at one point, the um, two young women, my daughter and someone else leading it, um, separated us into groups. And we had to organize like the effectiveness and the, the facts about birth control. And there was a young man in the group that I was in that knew more about birth control than I did. And I remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like, how does this man, this young man, I think he's in eighth grade or something, wow. know so much about birth control? And it was another one of those places where I caught myself in my own judgment. Like, like, and not judgment, but like confusion. And like, how does this young boy know so much? Like, it caught me off guard. And I thought, oh, that's interesting that it even catches me off guard. And I don't just see it as normal and healthy and awesome. Um, would, would that it were normal, but it, yeah, it was, I mean, the conversations are happening a little bit, certainly more. And I think you're, you know, a few years older than I am. Um, they are happening differently than they did when we were kids for sure. I would think that that's true. And I think, you know, part of that is because the social revolutions of the 60s and 70s in the West, in America, certainly brought in a level of awareness about the need to upgrade the way we 
educate our children and the way we handle certain topics rather than just leaving it all for the dark ages you know here's a here's a coat hanger you know go away and come back when this problem is doesn't exist i mean that's just n nobody not nobody but you know the the evolving american you know psychology and mentality understands that you know blowback from the right wing notwithstanding teaching children about healthy sexuality and birth control and you know human sexuality before they're sexually active is a smarter strategy and a kinder way of living than just sort of you know not ever talking about you know your monthly period cycles until like your daughter starts bleeding at 14 years old or whatever it was back in the day and you know not to, 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 to cast kids into the breach of these life-changing currents of biology and endocrinology and yeah, everything yeah. without a conversation that that's yeah, just crazy yeah. and so and so of course it became more obvious decades ago like hey we just have to include these topics in our education they're not dirty they're not taboo and verboten these are just complex yeah. human things and we need to invite those into the dialogue so it, it it brings me some satisfaction and joy to hear that there's eighth graders who know more than we do about you know what's going on in some way because thank god that means like that we there's not, hope we're not completely <laughs> moving backwards even though it sort of feels like that i'm giggling as you talk because um i'm as you maybe have guessed pretty open in my house about all of this and um some of these more taboo topics and we were on the chairlift at the ski mountain yesterday with my six-year-old son and i was like trying to explain to him that we had to get to the lodge as quickly as possible because i was bleeding and i needed a bathroom fast <laughs> and i i was you know there was pieces that there was like a whole conversation in my head happening of like are you like that crazy mother who's talking to his six-year-old son about periods or are you that awesome mother who's talking to his six-year-old son about periods? I don't know, but it's happening. And I, I guess I want listeners to just hear that there's nothing, there's no thing too small to start shifting the stigmas and the conversations and the awareness. Um, every little thing matters, right? Every little conversation we have, every podcast episode we record, every time we you know, ask a woman how she's feeling, um, it all makes a difference. And so we can make pretty big differences with, uh, with small uh, steps. Absolutely. And, you know, I think as, as many different traditions have recognized over the millennia, starting young is crucial. You know, when you get kids to 15 and then start, you know, trying to introduce ways of being that have not been part of their life, you know, that's a much tougher sell than if you, from, you know, Jump Street from the beginning as their young kids, like, model that it's okay for everybody to have feelings and it's okay to stop activities to kind of process things and make sure everybody's, you know, like, taken care of and feeling it, whatever that is, that yeah, when kids get yeah. that... When kids get that at one and three and six and nine, then the 13 and 15 and 18 year olds that they become are going to be much more fluent in, well, yeah, that's how kind people are. That's what people do. Right. So to start it young, I think plants the seeds early enough that they can land in fertile soil and become, well, this is just the natural way that people can be rather than trying to sell people on a way of being that none of us experienced until we were, you know, much older. That's a harder, you know, those are harder stripes to change. Yeah. 
Is there anything you want to share with, now my audience is mostly women listening. Maybe there's some men out there listening. I don't know. Is there anything you want to share with the listeners? Again, we're going to have to wrap up here. That from your perspective about abortion that you feel like someone out there needs to hear. Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, at some point, at, at some level, I want to just um, bow down and ask forgiveness for mm. the ways in which me and my fellow men have not been kind allies in all of this material, not just abortion, but just the human material of being decent and respectful to each other. Mm. I, know, I know that we have a lot, um, that the, the world is in dire need of recalibration and, um, and, and rebalancing in very essential ways. And so I think, you know, one thing is I just want to say, I'm sorry for being part of a group that has just so messed this up for so long. Um, also, I think, you know, I know there's dastardly men out there, but most of the men that I know and come in contact with basically have good hearts and want to do the right thing. And I do notice that there's, there, there is something about the sort of peer pressure or, you know, how we were acculturated to like be men um, that doesn't always make that easy in mixed company or in men's company, but that, that, that I think there is, there are a lot of us men who are, who are interested and eager to accept the invitation if we aren't quite always able to be the invitation to upgrade our ways of being together. Um, and I think there's so many of us who recognize um, the need for a major league upgrade in how we do intimacy and communication and love and sex and and society that I, I guess I want to, I want to, I want to put out a plea for, you know, the possibility of men and women being allies in, in rebuilding the world. Yeah. I just want to vouch for that to say that um, it was a challenge for me that week to invite men into this conversation and to send messages to some of the men I knew to say, hey, I'm talking about abortion. Maybe you want to know that I'm talking about abortion. Maybe you want to participate. Maybe you want to ignore this message. Um, and I, again, I, if you talk to some of the women who I talked to that week, I remember saying multiple times, you're not going to believe how many men want to talk about abortion. And so I think that I, I appreciate you bringing that up as there are a lot of us who, who are willing to have the conversations. We just haven't always had the opportunity. And so let's create more opportunities 
where we can where we can have these conversations and and i again my own judgments i thought like oh the men aren't even going to respond to this they're just going to ignore me it's too scary for them um it's and i learned a lot i learned a lot just stepping into this place of like what if they're not too scared what if they do want to talk about it what if they are willing as you have been so thank you it's definitely scary material and you know we live in a kind of era where it's so easy to take a sideways comment and blow it out of proportion or take it out of context or you know there's like a whole industry that just will take people's comments and use it to destroy them and so the safe money is not to put oneself out there yeah. Yeah. vulnerably and and honestly um that's a that's a deadly influence on our whole cultural situation but it, i think it's true that it's it's easy to watch your life get destroyed because either you were a dick 40 years ago or you know or you i mean there's just so many ways to offend people nowadays and you yeah. know i'm i'm a dinosaur man i'm 55 years old i come from a culture where you know where we used words and language that are considered unacceptable now. And if I, if I, if I go back to the, you know, I'm, I'm 15 years old, I'm 30 years old when the whole world spoke this way. And then like, you know, I, one can lose one's position and respect in the world just by having been born in the wrong era, not to excuse, you know, true dinosaurs who refuse to sort of grow and evolve, but it's just, it's just so easy to step. It's, it's so difficult to step through the minefield of modern communications um, when there's so many ways to cause offense, even when we're trying to do the right thing. Yeah. I love that, you know, this conversation included myself, a woman at age 40, you, a man at age 55, my dad at, he's now 70, my children and their experiences um and it really has been different you know there really is change in each of those generations in talking about this and so that's actually promising for me to see and to notice and, yeah. hugely yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it's tempting to miss the forest for the trees here but if you go back even and look at you know the civil rights era struggles of the 1960s and 70s the level of assumed inequality and uh and relations between the sexes was just so gobsmackingly different from what we assume to be normal now i mean we have a lot of work still to do i'm we do. i'm under no illusions that we've achieved you know the the mountaintop here but but it's so in so many ways it is so much better the, yeah the inborn assumptions about people's inherent equality i mean there's still racists out there man there's still a lot of sexists and racists out there but like for most of us, um, you know, what 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 we're we're fighting against in terms of sort of the assumptions of the racism and sexism and everythingism that the world has had so much of for so long. Like there's there's residues of that in us because of the culture that we grew up in. But I know so few people who really believe that crap anymore. You know, I mean, who who really thinks that women shouldn't be making equal pay for equal work now? I mean, they they you still don't. It's still I know, unfortunately, but I, mean, I think but, a lot of people do. But yeah, absolutely. Like, 
I love that just in this conversation, we can see so much evolution. And I am guilty a million times over of not celebrating the wins. This is like a thing I do where I'm like, let's look at all the losses instead of the wins. <laughs> that sort of negativity bias is, is, is yeah. a human nature often. But I love that, you know, it is worth noting the wins and the willingness. And I know my dad, who is the eldest of this conversation we've had, was certainly not talking to his parents about periods on a ski lift. Totally. <laughs> that was not happening. Totally. Um, so, yeah, beautiful. Well, I hope that I raise a son who is willing to have these conversations, whatever they look like um, when he's 55, because they're going to, we have no idea what it will be. I have some hope and trust that the nature of his conversations at that time will be more advanced than what we're even able to be in. Imagine, now. yeah. Because yeah. if we can, if we can somehow make it through this tremendously dangerous moment in human history, I think we're closer than maybe we've ever been at having a world and a life, a society and a culture where the basic human values, decency, respect, openness to people's different freaky selves being allowed to come and play and whatever makes sense for them, regardless of whether that's our jam or not. I mean, I just feel like we're so close to a I world think so too. I think so it's so better. ugly right now, but I really do think we're closer than we've ever been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm looking forward to sharing this with listeners and to seeing what it leads to next. I don't know. <laughs> I think we opened a door though. I think I, we opened a door. I appreciate your invitation to be in the conversation. Yeah. With you. And I, I'm an open invite for further conversations. If, as you say, you know, there are opportunities in a non-podcast environment or any environment. To yeah. Where is the best place for people to, to hear more of what you do in the world and perhaps reach out if they have questions uh, directed more toward you probably the best place would be my website which is www.iamadambauer.com bauer b-a-u-e-r correct correct yep i-a-m-i-n and we'll put a link up for sure yeah um, all so, right yeah until the next time thank, thank you so you. much Amanda. Thanks for listening, and as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.